And um, uh, back in, in Sydney, we have the custom of standing when we read God's word. Um, I'm not sure if you do that here, but um, I just want to share um, uh, a few verses in the, from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 6. And um, our text this morning is from Mark, chapter 6. This is one of the longest chapters in the Bible. In this chapter, Mark writes um, some about some key events. It is here where Jesus gives the disciples the challenge to go out to teach on their own and operate in the demonstration of the Spirit. In verse 14, we read the full story of John the Baptist and his beheading. And from verse 33 to 44, we read about the epic miracle of feeding the thousands just with five loaves of bread and two fish. Our reading today, we're going to pick up, pick up the reading from um, verse 45. Amen. If you have it, say, I have it. Great. And we have it up here. Awesome. So it says, and straightway he constrained, this is Jesus, his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before and to Bethsaida. Bethsaida. Uh, while he went away, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, that's the disciples, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And verse 51 says, and we finish here, and he went up unto the, uh, he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. Amen. So I want to speak to you this morning, very simple title, stay in the ship. Stay in the ship. Amen. Brother Gavin, could I ask you to pray for the word? Thank you. Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Anyone with boating experience? Not me. So um, this passage really intrigued me, and I've been actually digging a little bit deep. And every time I read it, I saw something new each time. Um, here is Jesus with his disciples. He, they were finishing a special um, feeding of uh, 5,000 people, right? Um, almost like a special meeting, let's say, where he would teach. All day, people were hungry. So Jesus wants to dismiss the multitude himself. But beforehand, he insists for his disciples to go first. The King James Version uses the word constrained, which means even force them to go. We can speculate why Jesus was so persistent in this first. Perhaps he knew his disciples were very tired from going around the area ministering and teaching. 
In verse 30, they said that they, they did that and took their challenge to go and spread the word. Maybe he thought they needed rest. Um, like all pastors take too much because they don't want to burden someone else. I'll just, that wasn't in my notes. Anyway. But regardless of the reason for compelling them to go, the disciples got into the boat and Jesus left for the mountain to pray. While reading through the Gospels, we often see that Jesus practiced solitude regularly. Amen. Jesus was a busy man. He was so busy that many times he didn't even have time to eat. And nevertheless, he always found time to be alone, to pray. A good practice to follow, right? Take a break, breathe, worship, pray, worship. Realign yourself with God. Private communion. The word and prayer are the most basic spiritual disciplines that you can have. And we cannot be growing Christians without them. The children just told us that. Right? There are many examples in the Bible of men and women that prayed to overcome or to be replenished. But now when we read this passage, Mark, um, I'm thinking of, of, of Jesus. Mark does not mention how Jesus was planning to catch up to his disciples. How was he going to get to the other side? He just wanted to make sure that they went. But there's no specific detail of how he was going to get there. The passage says that in the evening, Jesus noticed them straining at the oars, just struggling with the rowing. Verse 47 says, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary against opposite unto them. So here is Jesus, you know, how was he able to still see them? If they were in the midst of the sea. Have you ever found yourself thinking that? God, do you see me? Are you able to do that? In my situation, do you see me? I wonder what the disciples were thinking as they were rowing, right? Very high seas. They were physically struggling, battling the wind that was coming against them. What was going through their minds at that particular time? For real? Oh, man. If we stayed on land, we would have been with a crowd of people. We were becoming popular, you know. We should have waited with Jesus. Now the boat was not a cruise ship. It was just a tiny boat. You know, and they had to row to get across. How many in the boat? Well, at least 12. We know that. And, you know, I imagine, what were they doing? How were they doing? Were they taking turns? You know, imagine them go, my arms are killing me. I can't do this anymore. Oh, man. Someone take over, please. And here is Jesus on the land. Similar situations we have been caught many, many times where we found no respite. One event after another. And um, often we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. And that was the result of my obedience. In this case, it was the same. 
they obeyed Jesus. Jesus was the one that told them to get onto the boat, to go onto the sheep. And it was their obedience that led them to the storm. Often we dismiss that. We think if we do everything good and we obey all the time, nothing's going to happen to us. Life is going to be rosy, right? Because we're being obedient. And we think of the natural. We think of parents, you know, and kids. And when the kid, you know, often, naturally, uh, I'm a teacher and I will tell a couple of stories. But, you know, the kids that behave well often are the ones that I don't really notice. <laughs> no, no offense. It's just that, you know, because I'm dealing with the ones that don't. You know, they're the ones that are getting my attention. And, and you know, in this particular case, you know, they just didn't complain. Well, I don't know. Perhaps they did complain. They don't want to go on the boat. But I imagine being sailors that have experience, if there was a storm or a clouds or even, you know, looking, I think this is what they would have done. I don't know because I have no boating experience. But before you even launch, you would check the weather. So they're about to go. I'm sure they check the weather. I'm sure they said it's going to be okay. Yeah, let's go. And it was Jesus that asked them to do that. Their obedience led them to the storm. And Jesus, seeing all this, what they were going through, he stays where he is and decides to come to them about the fourth watch of the night, that verse says. And that's around between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Jesus did not go to help them immediately. So the verse also says that Jesus would have passed them by. We read that. So what was Jesus trying to teach the disciples? He loved them, of course. He loved them. So his intention was not to be indifferent. The opposite. Totally the opposite. God often lets us experience trials for a while in order to develop our character to empower us with the tools that we will need for what is to come. Jesus saw his disciples struggling against the wind. In fact, they were already very tired at this point and, you know, almost pushed to the point of exhaustion. But Jesus knew that for their own long-term benefit, he had to stay put on the land. I said I'm a teacher. I work this year with year one and two. My favorite age. If you're seven and eight, put your hand up. Oh, up there. Sunday school. Favorite age. Love that age. I love all ages too, by the way. But that's, that's one of my favorites. So as a teacher, I always notice the students, you know, in my class when they're struggling uh, with their learning or when they're attempting to resolve a conflict, you know. And, um, and lately, you know, at the beginning of the year, they will come all the time. Miss Ferrari, this, this, Miss Ferrari, Miss Ferrari, I can't, I can't, Miss Ferrari. Now that I've trained them, right, because um, the very first thing that I do, and I guess they go used to it, um, is ask them a question. So what are you going to do about it? He's not sharing. Okay, what are you going to do about it? And automatically themselves, they began to understand that I was not going to step in every single time. What is it that you can do? Can you take time? Can you uh, just have a little bit of thinking on your own? You know, do you have to react all the time? You know, and 
step by step, you know, they learned the crucial habits of not being impulsive. Any of us struggle with that? Something happens, react. You know, I must do something. Right? These children often, you know, they have to wrestle with themselves. You know, um, struggle is good for kids. Moms and dads, now and then. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's good for kids to just wrestle with something that they don't know, something that they need to learn. And it's in that moment that they will gain the tools for them to overcome things. You know, maybe they just need to learn to wait. They can't have your attention all the time. You know, they can't uh, just get what they want right now. And, you know, and I know as a, as a teacher, and it depends on the age, you know, um, I just need to uh, also teach them to wait, to not respond every single time. I know that with time and age, they will have the tools. Letting them struggle with something for a while could teach them to be humble, right? They could learn their own limitations. Is when you can't do something is when you learn what your limits are. And it's good to know your limits. It doesn't mean that you will never do it. It means that you need time, you need experience, and those things may give you the tools, will give you the tools. But knowing our limitations is very important. When to trust God or how to develop that faith. The same principle applies to us. You know, we can be spiritually impulsive. Yeah. And that is a sign of immaturity. And it's okay. You don't have to have it all together. Romans 5, 3, 5 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Character, perseverance, character, hope. That's our ultimate thing that we will never lose hope. And hope comes through this process of or endurance, sticking, staying committed, persevere, and to develop our character. So let's not grow bitter, right? If God doesn't rescue us immediately from a trial that we are facing, just as Jesus was nearby and ready to help the disciples at the time that was best for them, God is also near you in your trial. He will step in when you need it, but not necessarily when you want him. So don't blame God or grow impatient or angry. Stay in the ship. Keep doing what you know to do. Row your boat and row and row, like a special item, row, row, row your boat. Sing that to yourself. Amen. I have to stay doing what I know to do. I cannot quit. And if I'm in it, if I prayed, if I read the word and God's not giving me an answer, I still stay in the boat. Ask the questions. Do I need to be more patient? 
Is my ability to commit being tested? Come on. Staying in the storm tests your ability to stay committed. Committed to your prayer life, committed to your reading, committed to attending church, committed to submit it. It tests you. Amen. And it's time to shift our thinking in knowing that when God does not step in and help us, it's not a sign of apathy, but a sign of discernment. You need to develop some resilience, my child. You need to trust me for the long term. Jesus let some time go by and then decides to go to them. Walking on water. What an event. Is, is way, well, sorry, why well known that um, event that everybody uses it. That's the phrase. Everybody, I hear using the same phrase. Everyone, um, when they want to describe someone who does something extraordinary or impossible, they say, oh, they're walking on water. And some believe um, that those that don't, that those that are not Christian believe that when they read that and we say to them, you know, that's really happened. We, we believe that God, uh, Jesus was able to, to walk on water. Some of them just want to dismiss that and they could come up with scientific reasons why that was possible. I was telling Sister Jean, I was reading um, uh, a comment that it was saying it was probably the salt content in the water. Like, how much salt can I have? <laughs> to stand up on it. It was like a sand dune, maybe. I don't know. But, um, but we know it wasn't a trick, right? Most of the disciples in that boat were experienced sailors. So when Jesus walked towards them, as we just read, it was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. They must have had enough light to see something, right? To scare them to the point that they actually cried out, right? They were terrified. It wasn't a, a scream or a cry of, of surprise or excitement, right? It was terror. At the beginning, they couldn't tell what was that figure walking towards them. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus did not leave them in that terror. He dealt with the fear straight away. He revealed himself to them. And that is how God deals with your fears. And that's what he wants to do this morning for you. He revealed himself to them. He said, be of good cheer, which means take courage, be bold, be bold. All right? It is I. Even though they didn't recognize him physically, Jesus knew that they would recognize his voice. He didn't say, it's, it's me, Jesus. He simply said, it is I. And knowing his voice is a sign of understanding the revelation of who God is who God is in your life, and who he is. Now, I was thinking this morning about uh, the other day 
and as I was rereading my notes, um, it's important for us, even though we have been coming to the Lord for a while, when we read about the revelation of who God is, you know, once we walk, and for those of you who have been raised in church and you're a young person, um, often we just take home the foundational doctrines and we apply them to our lives, but we just believe in them and we don't longer study them, right? Because we just know that this is what I believe. I just know Acts 2.38, I believe in the oneness of God and I just took that as a pledge, as a belief, but I often we just don't go and study that anymore. And I was telling um, Sister Jean, I said, you know, I felt passionate about reminding us to, to go back to doctrine. You know, every time I have gone back to, to reading again about born again, it wasn't because I, I was, had doubts. <laughs> it was because, you know, in there is the revelation of God's love for you and I. It is about the death and the burial and the resurrection. It is about the connection of that with the born-again experience. It is about understanding that if it is in Jesus' name, it means God's name complete and alone there is salvation in that. And every time you read it, and for me, every time I study that again and I read it again, a fresh understanding of his love and who he is for me comes upon me. And I certainly don't want to let him go. Amen. So I want to encourage you, saints, that we have been here for a while. If you haven't studied the Born Again experience, you haven't read it again, just dig deep again. Dig about the oneness. Dig, dig about who God is. Dig about the baptism. You know, because when you understand, God will reveal that to you. And the more he reveals that to you, then you fall more in love with him. You love him even the more. So it's important for us to continue to do that. And here there were the disciples knowing his voice and understanding in the middle of the storm that figure and the cry of horror and the voice of Jesus. It is I. So the first order of business was to clear their fears. Take courage. Next, he decided to do another miracle to help with the trial they were facing. Deal with the storm. At the right time, God can and will step in in a powerful way to help us in the middle of a storm. In this occasion, he didn't address the natural elements. We have read a lot of times that Jesus spoke to the wind and spoke to the storm. But in this particular passage, he doesn't do that. Verse 51 says that he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased. He was amongst them, with them in the boat. And that's when the storm stopped. It was when we invite, it is when we invite him in it. If you're not, if you're just going through something now and you're struggling and you haven't bring that before the Lord, you need to do that. You need to do that. He will step into the boat with you. And that's when the storm will cease. 
This is a word for somebody this morning. You need to stay in it. It's not about jumping off the boat. It's not about finding another solution, going to um, walking out of the family, uh, getting another different job that's going to drive you away from the house of God. It's not about finding another fellowship. It's not, a fun, it's not about that. You need to stay in the boat and invite Jesus to step in and deal with that for you. The final part of verse 51 says that when the winds ceased, they were sore amazed, which is exceedingly glad, in themselves beyond measure and wondered. So why were the disciples astonished when everything stopped? I mean, they have been with Jesus. They have seen the miracles. In fact, they just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 the day before. You would think they, would, they wouldn't be surprised at all, right? But they were. The next verse, 52, listen what it says. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. How's that possible? You've just seen it the day before. You just heard the message the day before their heart was hardened. That word hardened actually means they could not comprehend or understand. It actually means a kind of stone in the Greek. And it was the lack of understanding that affected their hearts. There were leftovers the day before. Everybody got a doggy bag. So much abundance. Then when they were in the storm, it was like they forgot all about it. It is clear that it wasn't easy for them to change their perspective, right? It wasn't clear for them to change their view. It seemed that they often quickly forgot what they just learned. Now, should we blame them for the short-term memory loss? No, should we blame them for that? Because that never happens to us, right? We are no different. We go to conferences, we feel uplifted, we go to youth camps, we come back on fire. We love that term, I'm on fire! (laughs) Even we say it, she's on fire, he's on fire, right? Hey, we come and to church every Sunday and we hear great sermon and it's not just a sermon some things the word of God alive trying to do a work in us changing us and we come to the altar and we stand up and we feel victory and we feel changed so can we blame them for the short term memory loss God help us so it's a worth to endure the storms of life. The next verses, I'm telling you, this has so much meat that I couldn't put it away. The next verse, it challenges that and tells us if it was worthy or not. The next verses of that chapter describe what awaited them. Verse 53 says, And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straight away, 
they, that means the people in the town, knew him. And they ran through the whole region round about and began to carry about the beds, those that were sick, those um, that they heard where he was. And with us, so over he entered into the villages or cities or country. They lay the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch if it were but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him, were, they were made whole. Was it worth it to endure the storm? Yes, it was. It is easy for us, I guess, for these people, all right, in the other town, they had likely heard of Jesus and all his miracles. In fact, they said that Bethsaida was the birth town of Peter, Andrew, and Philip. Some historians say that. And I guess they've heard maybe from them about Jesus and what he was capable of doing, how he's able to, to heal the sick. So it was worth it to endure that storm, to be delivered and to get to the other side to see the rest of Jesus' ministry, the miracles that were happening. In 1 Corinthians 4, 4.1, Apostle Paul says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now the word minister means servant. And it referred to slaves or servants as well who were placed at the bottom galleys of huge ships. And they began to row and row and literally become the engines that moved those ships through the seas. So if you had been, um, if, if we were able to peek through the bottom galleys of those huge ships in the, that traveled through the New Testament, we would have seen the slaves were chained to the actual um, uh, oars. And the reason for them to stay put was simply that. They changed themselves to the post. The chains kept them compelled to effectively do their job. Likewise for us that are servants of the Most High God. Us that have given our life, amen. Us that filled their souls and the challenges um, that accompany obedience. Just because you obey doesn't mean that you're not going to face difficulties. And all our flesh is trying to tell us to, this is enough, I can't bear it, I need to do something else, you know. And often we feel the pressure of staying obedient. Staying obedient is not always easy, right? You, you, you have to consider the choices you make. You have to take stock of where you're going and, and where you're not. Who are your mates and who you, who are the not? You know, it, it's important. Stay obedience is is pressure. Is is work. You know, it's not as easy just do what you're told, right? You know, because it's not about the outside work, but it's about the arts. Is the outside that accompanies the inside, right? So, us the uh, the ministers of God, and everybody's the minister. Um, it's not just about uh, the license which we respect. All of us are called to minister and to serve one another. 
as always, you know, new projects are great. We get excited. But the real test comes when the excitement is gone and the reality of hard work and commitment begins. If you are not really committed to go all the way in fulfilling what God has assigned you to do, then you probably won't do it. Therefore, you must be absolutely committed to do what God has called you to do, chaining yourself to the decision to obey no matter what. Hallelujah. I want to conclude a little bit, just um, coming to a conclusion here. Um, And I went to the, almost the last chapter of Acts, um, I'm not going to f- put it on the screen, but uh, Apostle Paul was somebody that knew a lot about um, shipwrecks, not, not because he was a sailor, <laughs> but he was, um, he was caught traveling, going to places, and, uh, and boy, he suffered a lot of those, right? And um, in chapter 27 of Acts, you, you read all that about him traveling to Rome, and, um, and he appealed to Caesar. And he's in the boat as a prisoner, not as a passenger. So I wouldn't be surprised if they actually asked him to go to the galleys and do some rowing himself, right? It wasn't a luxury cruise either. And, and the voyage had several stops. And in the beginning it was fine, but the weather conditions changed. And they encountered headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So they sailed north of Cyprus. And they made another stop where they found a ship that was bound for Italy and they decided to go into that one. And the winds continued to get stronger and fierce and um, the storm was forming ahead. And Paul had an uneasy feeling. You know, and um, in verse 10, he actually tells the captain and the crew, and he says, I believe there is trouble ahead. And if we go on, perhaps shipwreck, loss of cargo, injuries, and death. But the Bible tells us that they decided to continue. And the seas grew higher, and the crew began throwing the cargo overboard, and the terrible storm raged until everyone lost their hope. It's easy to lose hope in a storm. So no one had eaten for a long time. However, Paul had a visitation from the angel of the Lord. He got the crew together and said, Man, you should have listened to me in the first place, all right? And not left their havens. You have avoided all this injury and all this loss. Verse 22 of Acts chapter 27 says, But cheer up. Got a different version. Cheer up, not one of us will lose our lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of God, to whom I belong, and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God has granted your request and will save the lives of those sailing with you. So man, take courage, for I believe God. 
it will be just as he said. The chapter finishes with everyone getting safely to shore. How about you? How about me this morning? Are you struggling? Are you going through a storm? God wants you to remember that he's still watching over you. And the word for us this morning is to not despair. It is not to abandon ship. In fact, when Paul was giving the instruction a few verses after that, the actual sailors wanted to abandon it. They were just lowering some things down so they could escape because they just thought that's it. And Paul said to the, to the person that was watching over him, to the centurion that was looking after him, he said, avoid that. They need to stay on the ship and then we will be saved. So it's important for us this morning, amen, to just focus again, not on the storm, in our commitment to the voice of God. Tune in and hear his voice and stay put. Stay where you are. He'll come to you. In the meantime, there must be something in you that God wants to renew. Something in you that God wants to build back up. It is important for us to recommit again. Life storms come and go. It's the faithfulness of God that will take us across. And it's up to him to know the time when to step in. So if we could all stand Take stock of your situation. Ask God what is it that you're lacking this morning? What is the storm? What's the lesson that I need to learn from where I am right now? And we invite you to come and recommit to the Lord. Are you chained to his ways? Are you a slave to him, to his calling? You are the the engine that's going to take this ship to the other side. The kingdom of God needs you to stay in the boat. Hallelujah, Jesus.